anytime you want to come up here and do tricks. I guess we'll lift you up here. We'll get you here. If you're willing to do some tricks. Welcome. We're glad you're with us this morning. We've got a few uh, things of information for you real quick. The prayers for squares that you've been hearing about. They're putting together some quilts. They're praying over these quilts, and they're giving them away to people. Wednesday the 15th, 6 to 9 p.m., they're going to start tying them, and everybody's welcome, even if you haven't come before. Wednesday the 15th, 6 to 9. And next week, you're going to hear from Anna for announcements. The women's ministry has something pr pretty cool coming up. It's called a ministry marathon, something that would take place oct October through May in the year, trying to do like, a lot of volunteer hours in that time frame. It's going to be a pretty cool thing. Today's just your little teaser to be looking for that. It's, they're not going to be just calling women to do that, to do service, but for all of us to find ways to, to do service and love others through our service. So big announcement coming with that next week. This is an exciting day for us because Kids Club's back on, Route 28's back on, parents are excited. You get a little break, you can almost get the mire and back if you really wanted to. You could almost do it. Uh, hopefully we can just develop some evening classes for adults through this time. But tonight, the little kids are back. We got pre-K through eighth grade. They're 5 to 6.30, and then, and then high school kids are here 7 to 8.30. So get your teens involved. We're here. We're ready to come alongside of you and teach them the things that we think you're teaching them at home and walk them through the Bible and through life and through issues. And So I hope you uh, can get your kids out here tonight and spread the word. Tell your neighbors. Tell others. Uh, our, our discipleship community classes at 10 a.m., they start back up today. They're all the same classes that we have had been running. But in October, we're going to have three new ones. So you'll start hearing about those soon. So we'll have some more options, some easier classes to jump into. If you feel like I haven't been in, I need to get in a new one. There are going to be some new ones coming. So we're pretty excited about that. We're pretty excited about Hunter doing the message today, not me. There was there a Yeah, you got it. Yeah, from Tom. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> The whole time you can do that. Yes and amens. You can just, he loves that. Boom. He likes to just yell boom. Like you do in elder meetings. <laughs> All right. Let's pray before we, uh, before we join together in worship. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for our, the opportunity we have. We have a free country. We can walk right in these doors and we can worship you. And there's others in this world that cannot do that. And we pray for those countries, those people that are meeting behind closed doors and hidden, but still have you first in their lives and were, are not willing to sacrifice their relationship with you for danger, uh, for jail, for prison. I'm thankful that we can come to you this morning and we can put all our cares aside, the things that are, that are weighing us down, health, unhealthy family, people that have passed even fights on the way to church and disagreements. Satan will do anything to get in the way of, of us and our worship. And I pray that we can leave it all behind this morning and we can just see you clearly through the, this, uh, the words we hear and the songs that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Um, today I'm going to read from Psalm 63 for our call to worship. Um, let's call to worship. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there's no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. 
Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Would you stand with us this morning if you would like? Or you may sit if you need to.
like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the with mercy for today faithful you have been and faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and it's why i sing your praise will ever be
And all I need to do is find him. He is right there. All I need to do is let his presence fall. All I need to do is worship. Oh, yes. We worship the Lord. Let's pray. God, that's our heart's desire, is to worship you this morning. So as we dive, as we continue this time of worship, we just pray that you remove distractions, you quiet our hearts, you focus our minds on who you are. You are a faithful God. You have been, and you will always be faithful. Remind us of that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. How's everybody doing? You doing all right? You doing good? I, uh, I got to be honest. If, if you missed last week, we talked about um, Pastor Jeremiah entering into a sabbatical. If you have any questions, you can, you can ask questions. But uh, I'm going to be honest. When we first found out that our leader was going to be gone for a few months, we kind of went into, all right, how are we going to make this happen mode? Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been in that mode before. Your entire life kind of changes. Uh, or your work, you lose a boss or your whatever. Hey, thanks, man. Hey, Jeremy, everybody. Jeremy Thompson. Excellent water boy. Adam Sandler's got nothing. <laughs> Did not think I was making an Adam Sandler joke when I woke up this morning. But here we are. Uh, so as we started to work out all of the details... Um, things, there was a little bit of concern, not necessarily worry, not fear, not, oh, no, we're not going to be able to do this, but a little bit of concern. Um, so as we started hammering out the details, um, I, I was talking with God about it, and I'm like, God, I'm a little concerned. And he said, why? He would give me a subtle reminder where he would say to me, I got you through last year. You entered into last fall with far more unknown about what that following four months was going to look like than you do this fall for the next four months. He's like, you are far more prepared now than you've ever been. And I, I texted Steve. I'm like, hey, if God was faithful last year, he's going to be faithful this year. If God was faithful then he's going to be faithful now. And then a few days went by and we hammered out some details and the elders met. And then uh, somewhere in the mix of all of it, I gained three sermons. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, and as I was leaving the elders meeting, driving home, uh, just talking with God, all right, I got a few messages. God, what do you want me to say? He said, remind them that if I was faithful then, I'll be faithful now. God is faithful regardless of the circumstances we're facing. So this entire process over these last couple weeks, it's just been very evident. If you talk to any of the pastors for more than three minutes about what we've gone through the last few weeks, it's very evident God's fingerprint is on this entire process. Just one quick story. Um, I was 
when I said, yeah, I'll preach all of September, I also, we start youth group tonight, which means I got to do those messages too. I also teach a middle school class on Sunday mornings. I'm like, I need someone to do something. So I asked a buddy of mine, hey, would you cover my middle school boys class? He's my go-to sub. And he said, dude, yesterday I was at work and I just had this nudge, this feeling, if somebody asks me to teach, I have to say yes. I'm like, well, so how long do you want to teach for? Do you want just the month of September or all? <laughs> Better milk this, like, right, let's see. Uh, so it was, God was moving. God was, had gone ahead of us, and he had made the path straight, as it talks about in Proverbs. And as I'm fleshing out, all right, so that's, so I don't got to teach them smelly middle school boys. That's great. But God, I still got to teach on Sunday mornings. What do you want me to talk about? If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. That, that, that phrase just kept popping into my head. I couldn't get it out. So I'm like, oh, I guess we're going to talk about God being faithful then and faithful now. What does that mean? So we're, over the next few weeks, we're going to go through the times in Scripture, a few times in Scripture, not all of them, because there's a whole lot of God's faithfulness all throughout Scripture, but a few moments where he was incredibly faithful to remind us that if he was faithful... 4,000 years ago, he will be faithful for the next four months and beyond. Um, excuse me. I need this water that Jeremy, incredibly, by the way. That form walking in the water pile to here. So if you hear anything this morning, no Adam Sandler jokes, no water jokes, hear this. God is faithful to get you through whatever you're experiencing, regardless of your circumstances. We don't, very seldom do we get to control our circumstances, but we always get to control how we respond. Our responsibility isn't to try and change the circumstances, but to honor God through whatever circumstances we face. Today we're talking about Joseph, and if you're like me, I grew up in church, uh, I've heard the story of Joseph a million times, uh, primarily growing up through VeggieTales stories and Disney movies. Uh, but by the time I'd reached my early 20s, thousands of times, oh yeah, Joseph, all right, he had brothers, he threw, sold them to slavery, blah, blah, yeah, Egypt, and prison, and then now he's like running, yeah, I get it, I know, Joseph, I've heard the story. Slight rabbit trail. If you know anything about me, you know that I buy way too many pairs of shoes and even more books. Uh, for every pair of shoes I buy, I think I buy four or five books. I don't read that much, <laughs> so I don't know why I continue to buy books. Uh, and I don't, I don't wear all the shoes either, but I still buy those too. But it wasn't until the last four or five years that I really started to love reading. And not like I can't read enough, love reading, but love the idea of reading, because uh, it still takes work to actually carve out time and sit down and read a book, and I'd rather do something else. Uh, anything else? Almost, I'd rather take out the trash than read sometimes. Uh, but these last four or five years, well, actually, it was a couple years into Cranhill, so six, seven years, I've really loved 
what the, the reward for reading. What do you get when you read? Uh, maybe, maybe a nap. Um, but more often, it's extra knowledge and better understanding. And I love, it's just like learning. I hate school, or I hated school, but I loved that I, after the fact, I know more stuff. Uh, I don't know what that tells you about me, but I was reading this book in my early 20s. Uh, actually, I was probably, I was 1920, somewhere in that ballpark, called No More Excuses by Tony Evans. Um, and it's actually still really close to the top of the list of books that I recommend to people. Uh, guys, men, because it's a book on biblical manhood. Um, and it's, the subtitle is what caught my attention. Uh, it says, Be the Man That God Made You To Be. And at this season of my life, I had felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know what that process looked like. Uh, I was going, I'd already planned on and been accepted in and started the process of getting into Spring Arbor University. Well, that fell through at the last minute, so maybe God was calling me. It was just this chaos of, what do you want me to do, God? And he brought me this book and said, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. So I'm like, oh, well, okay, I guess I'll read this book then. And throughout the book, uh, Dr. Evans creates a list of excuses that men make to be stagnant in faith and in life. Um, and he takes men, men from the Bible, men like Moses and David and Joseph, who we're going to talk about today, how God uses their circumstances to grow them and to create them into who he made them to be. So as I was reading this book, it was like the first time I'd ever enjoyed a book. So like every chapter was like, <gasps> this is incredible. Why don't all books do this? And I'd read another chapter, this is awesome. Why aren't all books this intriguing? Well, because people write boring books. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> all right, so let's, t let's go back to Joseph. Uh, and I'm gonna, we're not going to read the entire story. It is a long, wow, I didn't realize that they crammed as much Bible story into that 90-minute Disney movie as they did. They also fudged some details, maybe took some creative liberties, whatever. But boy, oh boy, is it a long story. So the entire story of Joseph spans really from Genesis 29 all the way through Genesis 45, or Genesis 50, end of the book. But we're going to be looking at Genesis 37 to 45. It would be wrong of me to assume that you know all of the finer details of the story of Joseph. Maybe you're like me, and you haven't thought about it since you were 10 and watching the Disney movie. Uh, and if that's your only understanding of the book of Joseph, I would highly encourage you, or the story of Joseph, I would highly encourage you to go back this week and read uh, from Genesis 29 to 30. So we start in Genesis 29. I'm just going to breeze through this because we don't have time to go through all of it. But it begins with Jacob, Joseph's father. Now, this dude has a whole story in and of himself. But Joseph or Jacob was married to Leah and her sister Rachel. It's like, I, I was going back through this, and Jerry Springer's greatest hits type family story here. Like, they, some serious counseling needed to take place, I would assume, uh, because Jacob had to work seven years to marry Rachel, and then her dad said, nah, nah, you can marry Leah. And then he had to work a few more years to get Rachel, and then, like, Jerry, 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 right? Uh, so he ends up, by the time Joseph's 
born, and actually Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, was the last kid to be born. He has 12 kids with four different women, Leah, Rachel, Rachel's maid, and Leah's slave. I told you, Jerry Springer's greatest hits right there. Since Jacob originally wanted to marry Rachel, and Joseph was her first son, that was, Joseph was his favorite child. Anyone have a bunch of siblings? All right, sweet. Nobody has any siblings. That's great. Thanks, Sam. Sam's <laughs> uh, so I'm on half a cup of coffee, so you guys are getting a weird version of Hunter this morning. I have five brothers and two sisters. Only one of my brothers is my biological sibling, full brother. I got a couple half-brothers, a, a half-sister, a couple step-brothers, and a step-sister. You get that right? I don't know. Blended family. I can relate to Joseph with the whole, like, bunch of siblings, but, but I cannot relate to Joseph in the fact that I'm not the favorite. Anyone have a bunch of siblings and you're not the favorite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, a few more hands, yeah, yeah, popped up. Hey, Todd gets me. I am somewhere in the middle, uh, which means not only am I not the favorite, but I'm also one of the most forgotten, uh, traveling all across the or all across the planet, nope, all across the country growing up with our family during the summers. I'm not saying I was like Joe Dirt lost in a trash can in the Grand Canyon, but may have been left in a Walmart uh, a time or two, maybe three. But anyway, I was not the favorite. The youngest was. The youngest sister. I'm not going to mention names. If you know my family, you know exactly who I'm talking about, Montana. Um, oh, man, I, I wasn't supposed to say... She was spoiled. She got, well, now, granted, we grew up in an, a great family. All of us got pretty much everything we wanted, except Dakota, but he was the oldest, the snottiest, and he, was, he didn't deserve everything he wanted, right? Come on. Uh, but Montana was, and now I am not a parent, right? So I don't understand how parenting works at all. Uh, but I'm assuming, like, you have a kid, and then you parent differently as you have more kids. That seems logical. Um, except it was like my perception. And this is not reality, uh, but it was like Dakota got like all the rule or got like freedom because he was the oldest. But he also had all the rules and he got all the beatings, which was incredible. Because by the time it got to me, I, we didn't get we, you couldn't beat your kids anymore. So awesome. Um, <laughs> they're never gonna let me do this again. Um, so, hey, Tom's not gonna fall asleep in that wheelchair this morning. That ain't happening. So you, there was. Discipline changed in culture over the last 20 years, right? Well, by the time it got to Montana, it was like your kid did something wrong. You give him a piece of candy. Like, what? This does not seem fair. Um, so we had a little bit of fun with that. But this was like how Joseph was viewed by his brothers. All right, let's get into some Bible because we really need it. Uh, so one, one day Jacob, they, oftentimes Jacob is referred to as Israel, right? So Jacob made Joseph this coat of many colors. Right? And it was bright, and there were many colors in this coat. Lots of them. Not just a couple colors, Todd. Many colors. So, like, it was very, and he flaunted that thing. I got to imagine he was like, look at my coat, brothers. You guys are in the field. I'm in the house with my coat of many colors. So <laughs> they, didn't, they weren't too fond of that. They didn't like Joseph. They already didn't like him because he was a favorite. Now he's got all this special treatment from dad. Well, then, as, they as if they needed more reason, he had this dream. And he had this dream where 
they were all in a field binding sheaves of grain. And as they were binding these sheaves, all of his brother's sheaves, I'm going to try and say sheaves without messing it up like 12 more times, so buckle up. As they were binding these sheaves of grain, all of their sheaves bowed down to his sheaves. Now, do you think he, like, kept this dream to himself? Like, I probably shouldn't tell them that. They're still bitter about the coat. Uh, this might not go over well. No, he told them. He's like, guys, 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 guys. I had this dream last night. Check this out. We made the sheaves. I got four more sheaves left, so. I made these sheaves, and your guys' sheaves bound down to my sheaves. It was incredible. You think they love that? No, 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 no. Do you think I would have appreciated Montana coming up to us? Hey, guys, you're going to bow down to me someday. No, we threw her. We would throw her in like a tote and in the closet and just let her sit there for an hour or two, just stew. Think about that decision. Oh, you, it was like you couldn't do that at that point. They were, we'd have been in jail. <laughs> no, that drove them to dislike Joseph even more. Like, not only is he the worst because he's spoiled, he's got the coat, now he's having these dreams. Now he's telling us about these dreams. Then he has another dream. This time, the sun and the moon and the stars were all bowing down to him. Now, you, you would think that Joseph would learn his lesson at this point. Maybe discern that his brothers aren't really fond of his attitude or his stature in the family. So he'd keep that to himself. Nope, he didn't. He told him. And he told his dad this time, and, and Jacob was not thrilled. Uh, and it actually says that his brothers were jealous, but his dad kept those feelings to himself, probably because, like, he's the most mature and his brothers can beat him up and not be too. But Jacob was upset and called him out for it. But, uh, yeah, so he told everybody. Fast forward one day, they're in the field. All the boys except Joseph are in the field working. Joseph is not. He's at the house, probably chilling out in his comfy room with his comfy coat of many colors. Talking about his dreams and stuff. But jo Jacob says, Joseph, go check on your brothers. Go check on them, see how they're doing, make sure they're all doing all right. I, I absolutely, this is, this is totally something I would have said if Montana would have, like, checking on us, making sure we were doing chores. But when the, the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, says, as they were... As Joseph was coming toward them, they plot to kill him uh, and get rid of the spoiled bread. But the CSB says, when they see him coming, they said to one another, Oh, look, here comes that dream expert. <laughs> I, could, I, I feel like that wasn't a term of endearment. Um, I, I don't think they were thrilled. So Reuben, shout out Reuben over there. Uh, the oldest, not, you're not in the Bible, like, but your name's whatever. A coffee. Uh, so <laughs> Reuben, the oldest, says, guys, like they want to kill him. Maybe we shouldn't kill him. Like maybe that, that just seems a little extreme to kill our little brother. Maybe just let's just throw him in the pit for a couple hours, throw him in a tote, toss him in the closet, and let him stew, let him think about it. And then they go to lunch. Joseph's in the pit. While they're eating, Reuben is gone at this point. Judah suggests instead of killing him, maybe let's sell him. Their, hey, see those guys trading all that stuff? Let's just sell him to those guys. Uh, so they do. They sold him into slavery. Reuben gets back, sees that Joseph is gone. They freak out. Well, Reuben freaks out. Uh, they're like, we got we to gotta cover this up. What are we going to do? Da -da -da -da. You ever, like, get in a fight with your siblings and you hurt your siblings and, like, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Well, this is kind of what they were going through, except the sibling wasn't there, <laughs> and they had to make something up. So they took this coat of many colors. They are probably really just as happy to get rid of this stupid coat of many colors that they were to get rid of Joseph. 
So they cover it in animal blood. They go back to Jacob. And they said, ah, Joseph was killed. Oh, no, what are we going to do? And Jacob mourns, and he's in a really bad place because his favorite kid died. He was eaten by a vicious animal. So Joseph, with those traders, gets taken to Egypt, and he gets sold to a dude by the name of Potiphar. So Potiphar was one of the higher-ups. He was an officer of Pharaoh. And if you're following along in your Bible, Genesis takes a weird kind of one-chapter rabbit trail. I've taken a couple of those this morning. Um, but so it, eventually it gets back to Joseph and Potiphar, and right off the bat it mentions that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Um, and that's going to be a theme throughout. The Lord was with Joseph. Um, and even though he had just been sold into slavery, which was not a great experience, even though he had just been removed from his home, forced into a whole other country, a totally different culture from his family, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph became very successful. In everything he did, he thrived, not because Joseph was incredible, but because God was faithful. God was with Joseph through the chaos of these experiences. Genesis 39, 3-4 through 4 says, When his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master, and became his personal attendant. The Lord was with Joseph. Even in these not-so-pleasant circumstances, and he rose Joseph to basically run Potiphar's household. So as far as life as a slave in Egypt could be, Joseph was doing pretty good. Uh, God was being faithful to Joseph, making his path straight, providing for his needs, um, and it would pretty, it'd be pretty great if the story ended there. But it doesn't. See, Joseph was a pretty good-looking dude. No comments, Todd. This is, this is not the part to talk, Tom. Um, he was a pretty good-looking dude. According to the text, he was well-built and handsome. Right? So Potiphar's wife thought so, too. And eventually she told him to sleep with him, but he refused. He told her that not only does Potiphar trust him with everything, and he couldn't break that trust, but more importantly, he would, how could he sin against God? So here we start to see a glimpse of maybe some heart change in Joseph's life. See, when he was a kid, it seemed like he was flaunting some of his favor in his family's face. Um, but here he wants to honor God. So back to Potiphar's wife. One day when she didn't get what she wanted, um, for, forcing Joseph to run away from her. She took his cloak to Potiphar, accusing him so, of some outlandish things. And that situation landed Joseph in prison. All right, so Joseph's in prison. Uh, verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. So, sold into slavery, the Lord was with him. Uh, works his way to a respectable position because... God made him successful in all of his ways, lands in prison. The Lord was with him, and he granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all of the prisoners under Joseph's authority and never questioned anything he did because the Lord was with him and made everything he did successful. While Joseph's in prison, uh, Pharaoh got pretty upset with his chief baker and his chief cupbearer, uh, and they both ended up in prison. 
And they each had dreams that freaked them out. So Joseph, again, I'm not going to go through the dreams. Read those this week. It's great. They're, they're awesome. Uh, but Joseph interpreted the dreams for them. And he made sure, he's like, guys, I'm not interpreting these dreams for you. This is God. God is interpreting these dreams. Again, we see Joseph shift from look at me to look at God. So for the cupbearer, his dream meant that he would be restored to his position uh, in just a matter of a few days. And Joseph said, when you get there, remember me. The chief baker, however, wasn't so fortunate because his dream meant that in three days, you guys, yeah. Anyway, the interpretations both turned out to be true. But the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. He forgot Joseph. So Joseph sat still in prison for two more years. Then Pharaoh had a troubling dream. All of his magicians and his wise men couldn't figure it out. And then, oh, ding, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Hey, Pharaoh, I was in prison. Remember when you sent me to prison and you killed the other guy you sent me to prison with, but you didn't save me, or but you saved me? Thanks for that, by the way. Also, there's this guy who interprets dreams still in prison. Awesome. Pharaoh sends for him and says, hey, interpret this dream. Joseph says, sorry, Pharaoh, I can't do it. But God can. And it's going to be God that will give you this answer. Again, Joseph going from me to God, or from him to God. Another nod to God's power. Joseph interprets the dream. He says, there's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And he said, since he had the dream twice, Pharaoh had two dreams, he's like, it's happening soon. So Joseph said, get somebody that's discerning and wise to figure out how you guys are going to get through this. Pharaoh was pleased, so pleased, in fact, that he said, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one as wise and discerning as you are. And Joseph got the job, like, sweet. Valley, mountain, valley, mountain, valley, mountain, valley, mountain. I wonder if Joseph was uh, getting a little elevation sickness. That's cheesy. Sorry, youth pastor joke. <laughs> the kids would have loved that one. No, they had so many eye rolls. <laughs> so what's crazy to me is that throughout this entire process, these Egyptian men, completely different faith, didn't believe that the God of the Israelites was the God of everything. They were, very, they were a polytheistic, many gods, right? So what's crazy to me is that these Egyptian men saw what God was doing in and through Joseph, recognized it as God's hand, recognized that it was God moving. And it got me thinking. When we experience valleys, when we're down and we're going through some tough stuff, can the people around us see God moving in and through us? Or do, this, or do they just see a bunch of miserable people experiencing bad things? I mean, how do you respond when you experience tough circumstances? Do you crawl into a little shell? I don't know. I don't know where that sentence, how that sentence was supposed to end. Uh, <laughs> do you tell people about it? Are you open? Do you accept the circumstance and keep grinding? Uh, I love how that song says, when there's no way up a mountain except to climb it. Do you climb that mountain or do you wallow in the valley? 
How do you respond when you experience tough circumstances? What do people see from you when things get out of control? Years ago, it was very easy for me, and still, like, I, I'm not great at it. When things go uh, haywire, I used to go, like, instant anger, instant frustration, instant lash out. Now it's like instant, oh, no, 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 don't get mad, don't get mad. And then it's, no, 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 you can't lash out. So I'm getting there, baby steps. But how do you respond when you have no control and things go haywire? I think a lot of this, the, the people seeing God move in and through us in tough times may manifest itself through the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you exhibit those things when you're in a season of what I call a season of stink? Joseph seemed to do that fairly well. Uh, so, what a crazy turn of events. Like, from favorite in his household to slave to running Potiphar's house to prison to now he's basically running Egypt. That's wild. Things like that don't quite happen today. Joseph was beginning to see God's faithfulness in action. As he saw, like he knew God was with him. And he let that be the foundation of his attitude. The foundation of the way that he carried himself. The way that he interacted with others. Do you allow God's faithfulness to dictate your attitude? Or do you allow your circumstances to dictate your attitude? Joseph's story isn't over. See, way back home, Jacob had been mourning Joseph's death. He had promised, or he had missed his favorite son. But God was about to orchestrate a bit of a homecoming and a reconciliation for his entire family. So at this point, Joseph's about 30 years old. He takes over the management of all of this uh, season of abundance, right? So he, people will go to Pharaoh, say, hey, we need this. He's like, talk to Joseph. That ain't me. That, that, I got a guy for that. I want a guy for stuff like that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Talk to my guy. <laughs> that would be great. But so they have seven years. Joseph's storing stuff up. He's distributing it. And then the seven years of famine hits. All of Egypt and the surrounding lands are impacted by this famine. People began to go to Egypt. And Joseph uh, distributed stuff accordingly. Jacob caught wind that Egypt had an abundance of grain. So he said to his kids, hey, go get stuff from Egypt. So they show up. Joseph recognizes them right away, but they don't recognize Joseph. Probably because he wasn't wearing his coat of many colors. But <laughs> when they get there, he treats them kind of harsh. Joseph accuses them of being spies. He's, starting to, he's messing with his brothers a little bit. He accuses them of being spies, and he says, go back and get the youngest sibling. And I, I, and I think that maybe he was like, Benjamin was my biological sibling. He was the youngest. He's probably now the favorite because I'm not in the picture. I wonder if they killed him because they were going to kill me. So he's like, go get, go get Benjamin. Go get the youngest sibling and bring him back. He didn't say Benjamin because then he would have, like, ruined his little games, right? Anyway. All the while, they think, so they kept one of the brothers in jail until he was in, until they returned. All the while, they think this is God getting back at them 
for selling Joseph into slavery. Uh, and Reuben, make sure to get in his I told you so's. Told you we shouldn't have killed him. Sent him away. So Joseph gives them grain and sends them packing. Uh, they go back. Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin. Oh, I wonder why. These guys clearly have a track record of taking care of their brothers. To summarize the rest of the story, they come back with Benjamin. Joseph has one last test for him. He made it look like Benjamin stole from them, uh, and he was going to send him back to Jacob without Benjamin. They pleaded and pleaded, and then Joseph cracked. He couldn't do it anymore. Uh, he told them that, who, hey, guys, surprise! I'm the brother that you thought was dead, and I'm here. <laughs> and they were afraid. I mean, probably rightfully so, because he's got all this power and authority and in this foreign land, and he could just be like, Garcon, prison. Do they, I pr I'm sure they don't name people Garcon in Egypt, especially back then. But anyway, they pleaded and pleaded. Joseph cracks, uh, and he said, is, J is dad still alive? He, that's all he was, that's, he's like, I just want to know if dad's alive. And they were so afraid, they couldn't give him an answer. Uh, and this is where I think I would maybe respond a little differently than Joseph did in this circumstance. Uh, if my siblings sold me into slavery, uh, and then years later, the guy, I was like in charge, I probably wouldn't have been so gracious. Probably would have been a little salty because I hold on to things maybe a little too long than I should, longer than I should. Uh, but Joseph stops them, and he says, Please come near. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into slavery, because he doesn't want him to forget what happened. He says, and now don't grieve, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Think about it. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, he would not be the one managing the grain, and his family probably wouldn't make it out of this famine. And what we're going to see, we're going to look next week at a dude named Moses who wouldn't exist without all of this happening because, because of Joseph being in, moving his entire family to Egypt, all the Israelites are all the slaves in Egypt, and then Moses, you, we'll get to that story next week. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord to his entire household, and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. It says, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Reminds me, of our battle and how it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another, but the principalities of darkness. Sometimes our path is rocky, but that doesn't mean God did not carve that path. Again, Joseph's tone here seems far different than that kid who was strutting in his coat of many colors. He, was, he seems far different than that kid who says, hey, guys, y'all are going to bow down to me one day. And here's the time. They're bowing down to him. Is he puffing his chest? Told you so. Now nah, the only one throwing I told you so was Reuben. I'm going to say your name so many times this morning. No, we're almost done. So they end up getting Jacob and moving the entire family to Egypt. 
Jacob lived for 17 years in Egypt, and right after his death, the other sons were again afraid of what Joseph might do. Our dad's not here to protect us. Joseph, for real, now is going to kill us. He's sending us to prison, something. But Joseph, so they sent this fake statement. Hey, Jacob said as he was dying to take care of us and stuff. I think it was the in stuff that kind of gave it away that, hey, maybe this might not be the letter. But he says, guys, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring the present result, the survival of many people. I love the song, Sea of Victory. And in Sea of Victory, it says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. That is a faithful God. Again, Joseph's heart here doesn't seem to be bitter toward his brothers or even his circumstances. I feel like if anyone next to Jesus has the right to be maybe upset about what they're dealing with, it's probably Joseph. Didn't really do anything. I mean, there was some pride stuff in his youth. We all have a little bit of pride stuff in our youth. And he does not seem bitter towards his circumstances as he says, God planned it for good to bring the present result, the survival of many people. Is that your heart when you hit a tough time? When you experience difficult circumstances? Are you, God, you plan this for good? Or do you cast blame when things don't go your way? Do you become bitter when somebody treats you maybe not how you want to be treated? Do you become the person that treats people negatively? See, church, God was faithful to Joseph even after he was sold into slavery, even after he was sent into prison, even after all of it, and more importantly, during all of it, because it says God was with Joseph. God was faithful then, and he will be faithful now. In a couple weeks, we'll talk about how the, God was faithful in the last year of my life. And I can't wait to tell you some of that, because there's some really cool moments, some God moments. But we need to start right here with Joseph. If God was uh, faithful to Joseph, he will be faithful to you now wherever you're at. This is not a super complex biblical truth that you need to go to seminary to understand. This is elementary, my dear Watsons. Watsons. <laughs> I am getting so many cultural, pop culture references in. This is incredible. It was Sherlock Holmes. Or whatever. This is probably one of the first biblical truths to go when we encounter tough times. Remembering that God is faithful regardless of our circumstances. So if you're in a dark place, if you're in a scary place, I want you to remember God is right there with you and he is faithful. If you can't see him moving, I promise you he is. And if you're in a great place, I want to challenge you to look around to the people who may not be. And chances are you can't tell. Because we're really good at hiding when we're not doing good. So talk to people. Build relationships with people. We've been talking about discipleship for like, since Joseph was around. Actually talk to people. Be transparent with people. Get to know people. Let people in. When we're on the mountaintop, we got a unique view. 
I was at the Smoky Mountains um, a few months ago. Actually, even more recently, I went to Picture Rocks with all the high school with a few of the high school guys. And as we're standing on these giant, massive cliffs, and we're looking over to the abyss of was it Lake Superior, Dad? Lake Superior. I know stuff. I'm like, I can't see anything over there. That's a pretty big body of water. When we're up on the mountains, we have a pretty unique view. Often, we can see people in the valley. Sometimes we can't. We were at the Grand Canyon once, and we're standing up at the top, and we can see the path, like as you're going down. Um, when you're at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, you can't really see that path. I don't know. I guess I don't know that. I've never been to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We made it like 30 yards. And whoosh, going back. Too much walking. But when you're on the mountain, you can see the path. You can look out for one another. That's when we're supposed to be more intentional with the people who are working their way up the mountain. That's when we have more capacity to care for one another. When you're, at the when you're at a mountaintop season of life, are you looking out for people? Are you caring for people? Or are you just there enjoying the view? And in these moments that are a little darker, maybe you're in the valley, you're climbing up. Maybe you're sitting there evaluating what's, what's going on in the valley. Those seasons are a lot lonelier. They're a lot more difficult. We need people who are on the mountaintop to say, God is there, God is faithful, and he will get you through. Not just that, but walk with them. Go down to the valley and help them up. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. Take a couple steps toward them. Hey, let's pray as we walk. One of the things that has always hit me the hardest with Joseph's story is that we don't see Joseph ask God why. We don't see Joseph doubt. Now, maybe he did, but he knew that God was there, and that was seemingly enough for him. He knew that it wasn't his job to know the details or how it would all work out, but his job was to honor God, not sin against him, to live for him in whatever circumstances he may have been in. And our job is not to know the whys of our circumstances. A few months ago, Steve uh, Fair was up here talking about that, and it blew my mind that in a season of difficulty in his life, he didn't ask why. He didn't need to know the whys. That needs to be our heart. We don't have to know all the reasons we just experienced a global pandemic or are in the middle of experiencing it. I don't have to understand the reasons behind the trials that I face in ministry. And you don't have to know the reasons behind the circumstances you're going through. All you have to do is honor God with your life, seek his face, love others, and seek to glorify God, not yourself. The worship team at the very beginning, Mindy read a psalm that fits incredibly well it's almost like God went ahead and planned this service before we even knew that we were I was going to be up here talking. And it was Psalm 63, uh, the first four verses. I'm going to read it again, but this time I want you to have a heart of evaluation. The first time we read it, it was a call to worship. Hey, we're about to worship. Let this meditate on this psalm. But this time I want you to have a heart of evaluation. Is this your heart toward God? Is this how you are living and treating your relationship with him? Psalm 63, 1 through 4 says, I use the ESV, the especially saved version. So it might be a few different words then. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Church, I'm a sucker for a good Christian catchphrase. Anything I can say, like we live in this Twitter world where 140 characters or less, if I can get a cool little catchphrase there, I will overuse it. But one of my favorites is, if God leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. If God has brought you or you found yourself in a difficult season of life or you're facing difficult circumstances, God will guide you through it. Seek his face. Not that we're not going to face difficult things and, and we're, gonna, we're, we're going to. One of the few things Jesus promised is trials and persecution. But if God was faithful to Joseph and his entire family, he will be faithful to you, and he will see you through whatever season you're facing too. If God was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Let's pray. God, you are a faithful God. And so often it seems that we get about a mile from the church and these words leave our mind. This spiritual truth is gone. And I just pray that as we navigate life, as we leave and go to the everyday stuff, let us not forget your faithfulness. If we're in a season of struggle, help us to look back on the times that you were faithful. Help us to live, change our hearts, God. Help us to live for you. Our hearts, we talked about it, Pastor Jeremiah just preached about it. As we were going through Jeremiah, our hearts are deceitful and full of sin. They're idol factories. Help us to have your heart to seek what you would have us seek each and every day. Remind us that you're faithful and help us to live like it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.